0: Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with
1: mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are
0: committed to raising awareness for all varieties
1: of struggle. So join me, Hattie, and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about.
0: It's Hattie here. I'm so excited to be sharing another episode with you today. We are so thrilled to introduce you to wonderful Raki Singh, who is the co-founder of the Manchester Collective. She's also a violinist and has had a really interesting past combining sort of the more traditional classical music education with also being surrounded by... Uh, musicians doing things differently and sort of subsequently being really inspired by that Um, so the Manchester Collective are redefining the way people experience classical music Um, they are a new music group and they're known for sort of experimental programming daring collaborations they now play in concert halls, warehouses, factory spaces, and have played all the way across Europe and the UK, um, combining, you know, contemporary music as well as the more traditional classical kind of masterpieces that we know really well. And they aim to bring this to a completely new audience of people who just love music in general. So we chatted to Racky shortly before the Manchester Collective, go on there oracle tour they are in sort of in the middle of their tour at the moment i just thought i'd say quickly that they are in nottingham on the 7th of april and Leeds on the 8th of april this week later this week i realize that's probably a bit late um but just in case you are near any of those places then after that they are off to manchester to the bridgewater hall then to york bristol and finally finishing in London on the 24th of April. So those final four are towards the end of April. The Oracle tour is all about, I mean, we talked to Raki more about it, but it's basically a collaboration with the incredible cellist, singer, composer, Abel Salaushewe, and it's all about connecting to ancestors, connecting to the past. Uh, it brings together the music of Abel's homeland with contemporary classical music and also music that we all may know or more um, traditional music so anyway Raki was just wonderful to speak to had a really big impact on both of us and it felt like a bit of a breakthrough for me actually in kind of just redefining what chamber music means because I think I've, I've often thought it had to be very um traditional and static in the way that it was performed but actually listening to Raki it's like actually yeah part of me can be in chamber music as well and also in the music that I choose to listen to so I feel like both as an appreciator and a performer this conversation had a huge impact on me and I cannot thank Raki enough for yeah being such a wonderful wonderful force um, within our world and thank you for letting me speak to you. Well Raki, thank you so much for having us today, it's just awesome to be with you in person and to talk more about your life and about the work you do with the Manchester Collective, so thank you so much. Pleasure. We spoke a bit before we started about, you know, just coming back from Newcastle, doing your, what was it called, Deep Night Track event.
2: Yeah, it was part of the After Dark Festival that Radio 3 put on up there. Yeah, you catch catching me on on the Monday after the (laughs) crazy Saturday night and Sunday Yeah, it was an interesting experience, you know. I mean, you can't really predict what it's going to be like. You can prepare yourself. Like we were just talking, I was trying to make sure I was sort of... I'd actually did bits of meditation and I made sure I had good food and kind of anticipated what might happen in my body. But then it's just like, well, what the hell? And also, I suppose I was thinking... um, you know, if I make some mistakes or something, I've got an excuse because it's yeah. 4.30 in That's the morning. So Do you know what I mean? So it's like, just be kind to yourself Literally. and give it the best shot.
1: I guess, like, I've, in the past, found it very easy to become obsessed with, like, the pre-concert routine for um, yeah. a normal concert. Like, and you, you have your timings throughout the day, but I can imagine that a concert, at, like, what, what even time was it?
2: Um... Well, I played in the seven thirty concert, yeah. seven thirty to eight thirty. Then I had a rehearsal at eleven thirty pm. We did our first piece at one thirty, the next piece at about two fifteen, the next piece at about three fifteen, Beethoven Act at about four thirty, and then finished off with Dowland at about quarter past five. So it was, wow. you know, we go on stage and then we'll we'd come off and have yeah. a little breather. But those were the moments where it's like, you have to keep yourself up. If I lay down, probably that would be game over. Mm. So I would just like, you know, sat up, stood up, walked around and yeah.
0: How many of you were there doing the, the sort of event, like the Manchester Collective part of it?
2: It was a range of um, quartet, quintet and sextet. Okay. So there were six in total, yeah. Nice, wow.
0: Enough people to keep
1: an eye on in case someone falls asleep.
2: Oh, well, I, I kind of, re- I lost... Um, I gave up on that quite quickly. <laughs> people going off. they can do the thing as it's long as bad. they come back and be in the right place at the right time. <laughs> that's fine really. Wow, well, it'd be really
0: cool to hear maybe like, if people don't know who you are, maybe it's a little bit of your background like as a as a violinist, maybe a bit of your education or mm-hmm. just where you come from in general and sure. and that sort of side of things
2: okay um well. Right now, I am a violinist and I'm sort of starting to do bits of composing and making music. I am music director of Manchester Collective, which is a group that I co-founded with my sister and actually with Adam Salbo um, about six years ago now. So that's sort of my main thing and I freelance a bit around that. Growing up, I started violin at an early age because my mother taught violin. Then I went to Cheatham's at about the age of nine nine or ten. So I had quite an intensive music education, music school and then music college and then went into a string quartet. So I've basically done chamber music since the age of 14 when I was at school and um, so that's always been a huge part of my life and I've had some orchestral jobs around that but chamber music was always like the main thing. So then when I stopped doing string quartet um, then there was a sort of a hole in my creative life I suppose and so that's a few years later I met Adam and it sort of all kind of started from there really.
1: Wow so you would say that your musical education was fairly traditional I guess if you would. Yes
2: yeah yeah I mean so my mother is from Manchester my father's Indian so at home when I was young you know there's Indian food there's Indian music in the kitchen whilst my dad was cooking and stuff so I've always had a sense that there's more out there I suppose mm. and then during my college years I always enjoyed doing the contemporary ensemble stuff but I also enjoyed doing period instrument I did a project with baroque violin I always did the contemporary group so I think I've always been a curious musician even though I always been um, had quite a narrow path I was kind of always had my antennae out um, so I guess I'm just continuously exp- trying to explore other Mm. parts of music that I love and yeah it can be quite hard when you've been put into a box it's you know to have the bravery to step outside that is quite daunting sometimes but completely
0: I think that's what I kind of wrestle with all all the time really it's like how far do I brave stepping out of the box
1: yeah particularly I feel like my teacher's voices were the main voices in my Mm. musical mindset when I was growing up, I guess even now sometimes. Um and yeah, when they're not necessarily encouraging you to look for other parts of music then it can be quite it takes quite a lot to put yourself out there and try new things if nobody's demonstrating that for you.
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I suppose when you when you realise that you have to do that or you're doing that is coming from mm-hmm. a strong place from within you but i totally agree it's quite hard it's quite scary um yeah and it's interesting talking about teachers because they have such huge responsibility like like you say we remember um the good bits and the bad bits that they pass on to us and now i'm doing bits of teaching <clears throat> don't have a permanent class anywhere but i always enjoy exploring working with i suppose it's young adults i mainly work with to find out how i can help them what they need in that at that time sometimes it's like psychological help and sometimes it's really physical help and but it's interesting how those two things are so interlinked. I realized that when I was growing up and through my education I didn't have much guidance on the sort of physiology of playing and the physical aspect of playing and I had periods of time where I actually got some injuries and stuff and I really had to figure that out for myself. So this was post college, but even when I was doing concerts and under pressure, I was in pain actually quite a lot of the time and this stuff doesn't go away, and and at some point you have to address it. That's definitely one of the lowest moments in my life.
1: It is really... I was going to say scary. It's not scary, it's, as you say, the responsibility of a teacher. And we did an injury awareness campaign in November, and we had quite a lot of chats with people who were injury specialists who said, you know... Usually the first port of call for somebody who's experiencing even the beginning of an injury is their teacher because they might just mention it in a lesson but the teacher doesn't have any training and it's, it's very unfair mm. to put the responsibility onto them but that's the way our music education system is, yeah. has kind of been set up at a music college for example so yeah. it's no wonder that you're playing through pain sometimes.
2: I mean I had some amazing teachers and, and a lot of what I remember is often just being asked why you know, teachers that get you to think for yourself. Then, then you go on and you have some tools to take out into the world. But I don't really, I don't really agree with the teachers that try just try and make a prototype of David Ostrach or whatever for people who don't know about the violin. He's a famous violinist from years ago. Um, you know, we're not making clones, or so I don't think that should be the idea. That's that's quite an older violin school way of being, but I feel like mm. it's still kind of around. In terms
0: of your own kind of experience, you say you had external mm. influences that were quite exploratory and you didn't feel necessarily like stuck but were there elements to your education where you would say like that never felt quite right, that element of music never sat well with me? Um,
2: yeah I guess I feel a lack of exploration, mm. like I was never really encouraged to Play for myself, or in you know, to to write, or I think you know, if we all, all of us who pick up an instrument, we love sound in some shape or form, and we should be encouraged to just sometimes just play whatever the hell we want because that's developing our own voice. Um, so I feel like a complete baby to that now, but I'm I'm trying to nurture that in some shape or form, um, and. I guess I'm I'm glad I've learned so much about the language of music because that helps me now interpret scores and helps me put as much of myself into whatever scores I'm doing. So it's a bit like being an actor, you know, lots of people do Shakespeare, but you'll really remember Simon Russell Beale Shakespeare or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so when people put their own spirit into that literature, then I think it has a power. But also there's a ton of music in the world that's made just by people playing themselves. So that's also an avenue that somehow we've forgotten about (laughs) because we've been playing other Mm. people's music all the time.
0: Yeah, I I often feel like I hit a place of my cello playing where I'd feel a bit depressed that I was never... Like, I enjoyed playing, but I always felt like there was a slight lack of, like, oh my God, everything I play is written by someone else. And when you kind of feel... Like in music college, you can quite often feel quite numb to interpretation. You're like, oh my god, like I feel like I'm playing the same thing over and over again. I don't really feel you like I'm in the it the way that your teacher wants Yeah, to do. yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh my god, like I'm not creating anything. And then that's when I kind of went, I can't compose, so poetry is going to be my thing, you know. Oh,
2: interesting.
0: Like making sound in that way yeah. felt more natural for me. But it, well, it, what's interesting yeah. is like,
2: where did you get the idea that you can't compose? Like yeah. a three year old can compose. Do you know I mean, we we can compose but I guess in some ways we learn so much about, you know, Western classical music is very cerebral in, mm. in a lot of ways and and you know, just because I can't compose like Stravinsky doesn't mean I can't compose. Mm. <laughs> you
1: know? I think as a trumpet player there's um there's always this thing of like, you know, there's a very like, solid line between classical trumpet players and jazz trumpet players. And it's Mm. um, any kind of improvisation or, like, self-composition kind of stuff always felt like I couldn't possibly do that because I haven't had any training in it or, like, I'll be instantly compared to jazz improvisers. Yeah, Um, put in that
0: box kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and it is funny because obviously there are more genres than just classical and jazz. So it's like, well, what happens in the middle of that? Um, but I wonder where, where did you get your courage to try new things and put them out there?
2: Well, actually some of my friends, um, are amazing musicians and, um, so like at at school I, I was, um, and they're good friends now. Olivia Chaney is a very close friend of mine. She's a singer songwriter but she studied classical piano and singing at school. We were at school together. She then went to the academy, did a jazz degree, and then we lived together after that, and she was learning about British folk. So I was sort of um, observing, witnessing her exploration of this. Um, so, you know, sometimes in the morning she'd go downstairs and play some Goldberg variations, and then start, like, learning some English folk or learning, teaching herself how to play the guitar. So it was kind of around it. Um, and it's, she's a kind of constant inspiration, really. If you don't know her stuff, check it out, and you'll be in floods of tears within, like, five seconds. She's amazing. <laughs> um, and also another girl I went to school with, Sepha Steer. She is... She now does... In, she's in a band called Bas and and um, does stuff with Jarvis Cocker, and she's a harpist, um, but she's kind of... She's very punk, actually, and, you know, so these people kind of went... We are all at classical music school together, but then they went off and found their own voices, and... My partner now is an electronic musician. I've learned so much from him. And, yeah, sometimes it's people you surround yourself with. You you take bravery from them. And even when I've done... I've worked with dance companies in the past and observing how people work and create in different ways. I think that kind of feeds into your psyche and your psychology and you it just kind of makes you aware that there's other ways of doing things.
0: Mm, did you kind of find you didn't want to be around the sort of traditional musician, as it were. Do you think that was like your kind of, oh, I'm I'm gravitating towards <clears throat> these people because I'm more like them. I don't really fit with the traditional style. Of...
2: Probably, yeah. I mean, it's only really now that I... Maybe since starting Manchester Collective that I feel like I'm maybe just getting more in the right place that I should have been. Sometimes this stuff is so ingrained in us that we... It's almost like we deliberately keep it the lid on it, or I mean, I've always wanted to to try other things, but often not had the courage to do it. So that actually leads to a lot of frustration, yeah, which you can carry around with you for a long time. I and mean, as said, my partner, you know, he, I was like a broken record sometimes, just saying, oh, "I really want to do this," "I really want to do that." And then not doing it. <laughs>
1: <Blimey>. <laughs> because
2: but it's also the self-judging, you know, it, part of our what we do and especially if you want to be really good at something, there is a huge element of self-criticism. But then um when you're being a creator, I think the act of creation you have to park park that and you have to have um you have to switch off the doubting thing and just let something flow and then afterwards you can review it. But if you're already inhibiting that you'll never, that action will never take place, that, like, genesis moment. Like, for me, I instantly compare it to performing. Like, as soon as I have
1: doubt if I'm performing, which is all the time, um, but, you know, it's more likely to go wrong, or, like, if I think, oh, I'm going to split this note, probably will. Yeah. So I guess if you're doubting yourself in the creative process that you're going to make something bad, then it's more likely that it's just going to block what needs to Mm. come out.
2: Yeah, it also means you're not in the present. You're, you're... Your
0: mind is on something else. So. I read somewhere that you had a position as Principal 2nd with the RLPO?
2: I was or Assistant Leader. Assistant Leader, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Assistant Leader fine. with the
0: Royal Liverpool Philharmonic yes. Orchestra. Yeah. And this kind of part of your journey really interests me because
2: I'm wondering, mm-hmm. first
0: of all, like, how recent was that?
2: So that was... Um, probably around 10 years ago now. Okay. I had the job for five years and it was um, a sort of percentage job. So I ended up doing probably about 35, 40%. Mm.
0: So when I first
2: joined them, I was in the string quartet and they knew that. So I I would fit it around the quartet stuff, but then the quartet finished. So I ended up doing a little bit more, you know, it was great that I had a job at that point um, and it was flexible. So I, yeah, whilst I was kind of, recovering you know I, I think it was when I was returning for 30 like a, there was a big relationship I was in which I thought meant you know might have been the one but my granny my grand died I ended my relationship and I left the quartet so there were a lot of things happening at once which sometimes you kind of you know which needed to happen but it takes a bit of time to recover and mm. or to figure out why you felt like you needed to make those decisions um because sometimes you just don't know at the time and I think a member of family passing away often makes you just feel stuff in a in a different way. And, um, yeah, so I had Liverpool there as some sort of structure. Um, and I guess I kind of zoned out for a little while. I was just doing my job and enjoying it and enjoying the, the people there. But then after a while, I was like, OK, what am I doing now? Yeah, and yeah. that was my question, <laughs> I suppose. It's
0: like, did that feel quite restrictive, like, for you personally? Like, I mean, because it job. wasn't
2: a full-time job um mm. I, I was really lucky you know it was a great kind of security and I, you know I still get things of like oh why did I leave it but in sometimes yeah. you have to close a door in order for another one to open and um you know sometimes we especially when people have families and mortgages and everything and it's very hard to shut a door without one or without already having your foot in another door mm. but I do believe in like the power of the universe it, like it, and trust like somehow if you if you can trust and I, I was lucky at that point in my life I could trust and um so I I you know I left it without having anything else necessarily to go to um but I guess that was it gives you fire in your belly as well and then shortly after that I met Adam and we started this thing I was like okay this is my chance you know
1: How have you found it just, like, managing multiple... Because if you have a part-time or, like, fairly busy job with an orchestra and then you've got strinkled hair and everything else, how have you managed with the balance of it all and working Um, with different people all the time?
2: It's... Yeah, it can be quite tough sometimes, I think. i found, especially when I've been doing my own creative projects around things, you're, you're spinning a lot of plates and it can literally like frazzle your brain so I just try and not do that too much now I mean maybe I'm lucky to be in a position where um I can choose a little bit more what I do now but actually to be honest I say that I say that and I still end up taking on a bit too much and then I go oh no brain is frazzled um I don't know, I, I'm, you know, I've just turned 40 and it's like you have a realisation that rest time is so important, like, for your brain. And, yeah, we have to look after ourselves. I, I suppose there's times in your life to push, um, to to be intensive and to push, because actually I, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing, like, the limits of my capacity, like... With quartet, sometimes we would do crazy, you know, rehearsal days or we would go to Berlin and have six-hour lessons and our, our our teacher was amazing, but he was quite crazy as well. He's like, in his 80s and we'd have to ask him for toilet breaks because he'd just be, he'd just <laughs> so, like, intense <laughs> in the music and stuff. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. but it's, I'm, he's one of the teachers I feel like I sort of learned how to interpret music from and it was, they're very powerful mm. experiences. Mm. Um so it's I like the fact that I know I can do that. And if I if I know I've got a big gig and I'm like, okay, I'm going to absolutely like slam it now. I'm going to get this prep done. I know I can do my 6 hours a day or whatever and um you know, it's not always comfortable doing that, but you know you can. And then it's like, okay, I've I've earned my rest, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to I for me, now it's important to rest. Not everyone's like that. Some people just like to go 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 and and be on the train but I think it's for longevity it's good to get off the train sometimes but the culture in our country is quite um workaholic and I don't think it's healthy ultimately because I don't actually this does apply to a lot of my thoughts on education and stuff like if we don't take time to think and feel deeply then everything we're doing is surface and has an element of like frantic about it Mm. and um I, I, pres- I mean I think you guys wanted to talk about education at some times but I feel like there's a lack of deep learning just as in some ways there's a lack of deep listening or mm. or concentration because or, we're so distracted by so much stuff all the time and stuff everywhere that we have to fight that now but but like, deep learning is so important because I really believe that people go when they go to a higher education institution Like, we have to train or we have to guide people in being better people. Like, if you're teaching people well, they will come out of college a better person, not just a better sportsman on their wooden box. Like, Mm. the job is not to teach, I think, to teach someone to be an instrumentalist. Like, to teach them to be an artist is a different thing. And you have to teach people responsibility for themselves. You have to help them find their own voice. You have to give them the tools in order to make those things happen. So you need re- total like, physical knowledge of whatever instrument they're learning, guide them in how to look after themselves, push them to ask themselves more and more questions, and then you will equip someone to have something of worth to take out into the world. In a summary. <laughs> um, what
1: do you think the long-term consequences are of not learning that?
2: less interesting art making, less interesting um, culture. Right? Like, I don't know. Um, I suppose now I'm mostly in my Manchester Collective working environment, you know, and I've realised that sometimes people come in there and they're surprised by the culture that we've created. And because we're there doing it all the time, you kind of forget that other people aren't necessarily doing that. And... It's very open and supportive and actually a lot of musical institutions are not necessarily like that. And I understand why, because the larger they are, the more difficult it is to cater for everybody's emotional needs um, and to support everyone in the right way. For example, the orchestra is such a bonkers institution. You've got all these different sections of instruments that require very different types of lifestyle in order to be able to play. Um, or to to do, and then everyone 's under this massive umbrella. most people feel like they 're not heard at all because sometimes conductors just don 't want to engage in any sort of dialogue so you 've got this one person stand at the front who most people feel like they 're not listened to by this person it 's just like very unhealthy environment in a lot of cases, not always by any means, but you know they can be interesting social experiments <laughs> Ooh.
1: yes I also feel like people aren 't just like they're not heard they feel actively worried or scared yes Um, and yeah I wonder whether in in terms of education like I certainly felt in my music college years that um, there was just so much going on like so many orchestral projects so many lessons so many exams that I didn't have the space to ask those questions but I also didn't feel like I could ask for that to be
0: changed.
1: Or like I didn't want to um, make
0: the space either because it
1: yeah well, I, wasn't I couldn't sp- yeah and I didn't feel like my suggestions on that would be welcome. And again, I yeah. understand that it's a big institution and they can't cater to everybody. But yeah, I don't really. Know
2: what well, I, I think, to think I mean they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, but like, ultimately you either have to have the balls to change something or nothing's going to change. So I'm not saying that to you. I mean, it's the okay. people who are organising the... <laughs> doing the curriculum. I mean, also, like, what... How? I find it absolutely bonkers that we still have to play Mozart concertos for orchestral auditions or... Even, like, technical exams, it's great to play your thirds and stuff, but I rarely have to play thirds now. I mean, I'm, you know, it's good that I can and I learn how to, but I think you can still learn how to play thirds probably in a more interesting
0: yeah. context.
2: than you know, for my 20 years of musical education, I only played three scales, major, minor, and harmonic minor. Mm. Like, how many different scales and modes are there in the world so you know, strictly. like if you think about what the jazzers do, all the modes they learn, all the rhythmic stuff they learn, basically, learning about harmony, learning about rhythm and doing chain music, that's probably all you need to do, and you've got all of the skills you ever need to go into it. yeah, I went straight into a position job because I know how to play in tune and with, and with awareness and with good rhythm and, mm. and with musicality. Mm. Like you're not going to learn that just sitting in orchestra all the time. Mm. You have to just strip things away, give people all the tools they need, and then they can go into any context. Whereas if you're just putting people into an orchestra, which you've got far more time than you would when you go out to the real world anyways. If people don't turn up to the first rehearsal knowing their past, stop the rehearsal, tell people to go and come back when they've learnt their notes, because that's what what happens. And so it's like instil the right habits from the off um in with everything it's like we have to we have to be it it's all very good while well, talking about it but we have to a decide what what you want to be like what's your level of integrity and excellence and be it and if if the someone's not giving you the answers get answers from somewhere else get answers from other people and we're not alone. No one's alone in this. No one's perfect and we can all help each other in any shape or form. I love it when I, you know, such amazing musicians come into a collective, like lots of people who lead other orchestras um, and or ensembles or whatever. And it's great. I can ask them, "Oh, how do you do this? Like, I'm having trouble with this, or whatever." Or I see what they're doing with their bow arm. I'm like, "Oh, that's nice. I'll copy that." Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like we it's more creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When we don't have to be perfect. Mm,
1: yeah. I guess it comes back to your comment about we don't need to create clones yeah. of people, and actually, like being able to collaborate with people, even just in terms of like, oh, I, yeah, I see what you're doing with. I literally have no idea about string instruments, yeah. but I I'll see. I'll, I like what you're doing with your bow there. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll try like. How a bit. do you do that? Or? Yeah, yeah, and asking, and I think it's um, in music education from right from the beginning to the... Well, there is no end, but all the way through. Uh, it's about creating a safe space to ask these things, whereas I'm not sure that I ever felt like music college was a safe space to try things, mm. or, like, musical education more in general.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. No, it's... it's. You think about, like, actors have incredibly rigorous training, and it's, excuse my French, fucking hardcore, mm. um, but then they you know the level of self-knowledge that they gain is amazing and then you see them on screen and you totally believe that Mm -hmm. they're being whatever they're being and somehow we've lost that that depth of like encouraging people to to self-analyze and I guess there's an element of pain about it like sometimes you have to be really thrown in the deep end or be really challenged in order to kind of be rebuilt I don't believe in like torturing people but it's it's good to be lost um okay so I'm going to be quite open now so I had I had a rough time last year um some stuff went wrong with my health and and so as a result my partner and I have had decided to have some counseling together to try and figure out a way, way forward. Not because of this conflict between us, but just to like help guide us going forward. We had a session this morning and, and it's, uh, it's really interesting because I, I came out and it's, it's been amazing for us. And I've, I said to him, like, God, the sessions are like it's amazing. Cause I feel quite lost in some of them sometimes. Like this, this guy is helping me figure out my patterns of thinking and actually challenging me to think and react and be in a different way and we were just discussing about this thing of like it's good to be lost you know it's good to be lost myself you know in the, i'm in a very supportive relationship and supportive uh, position um and yeah i think that's the thing it's like encouraging people to be lost because then mm. you find something new it, and obviously it has to be done in a safe environment the more i do of this the more i realize how valuable it is because people feel safe and seen and encouraged and and ultimately it's only making music it's not life or death so literally what happened to me last year I became very close to dying and I actually have that perspective now like I have my body knows that I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs) die. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's interesting because before I'd always say to myself, in order to try and calm myself down with pre nerves or whatever, I'd say to myself, oh, you know, it's not life or death, but my body didn't believe it. Or, you know, part Mm -hmm. of yourself. We say a lot of things to ourselves, but we kind of don't believe it. Yeah. So you have to kind of train yourself. And now I'm starting to do bits of meditation and just, like, just be better at doing yoga sometimes and just like create space in internally and externally and it's a really valuable thing. Mm.
1: Have you found more uh maybe motivation is the wrong word but more energy to look after yourself in all aspects having gone through that experience?
2: Oh definitely yeah I mean it's just yeah I mean at the time I knew it was life-changing you just never quite know how but it's also for all of the devastation that came with it. It was a gift, you know. A lot of people don't have the chance to have another chance, basically. So mm. yeah. And then a few months yeah. later, we did our prom, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Because wow. I didn't know if physically I'd be able to do it. So, um, um, but yeah. Then it was. I was. It was interesting because I was wondering, would I feel nervous for it? Because. It's our first prom and it's in the Albert Hall and blah, 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 I played in the Albert Hall before, but with other orchestras and, you know, amazing experiences doing that. Um, and I walked out in rehearsal and I was like, oh, it's not as big as I remember it <laughs> And then, But with this stuff, you never know how you're going to feel. And actually, I just didn't feel as nervous as I thought I would because it's like, OK, we can do this job. A lot of, Yeah, somehow it's like having a deep belief and, mm. yeah...
0: I really I really love what you say about, like, leaning into and not being scared about being lost. Yeah. Because I think that's something that, in some ways, I think having a more secular culture can be more freeing for a lot of people. But actually, there could be an argument to say, oh, we have lost this this sense of the world religions that all basically say suffering, failure, loss, is, mm-hmm. like, kind of the crux of like love and success and like fulfilment.
2: Yeah. And I think it's
0: really interesting how like a lot of people come out of very, very lost situations to find something incredibly like life giving. Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. certainly feel that with oh, my mental illness, like I talk about it all the time, but
1: Yeah, you won't shut up about
0: I it. Really <laughs> shut up about it. Everyone <laughs> knows I'm depressed. Okay. Yeah. You get it, honey. <laughs> it's not about the people you surround yourself with. <laughs> yeah. But in all seriousness like as you say, that it was only after i'd been through that that I had perspective on like, yeah, what do I really want to do now, like mm. I don't you know I'm well now, and that means something different to what it used to mean, yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. What, where do I want to we're go?
2: surrounded by like just so much advertising and so mm. much like fake life mm. that isn't you know, animals are not going around like being happy or sad I mean maybe they are actually my cats are definitely yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but okay, let me know yeah that's true but I uh, yeah I retract that actually but I think they do but I suppose maybe they're not sitting around thinking oh I'm happy now yeah, yeah. or like expecting themselves to be happy all the time we yeah. don't have to be happy all the time yet so much around us is telling us that we do it's a completely mm. unnatural. Mm. Yeah, like you say, it's like, the. I, I mean, I feel like, I. you know, you learn this in many different things. It's all about cycles. Like, the world exists on cycles. I remember even when I was younger in chats and practicing, and I might have, like, a really good day of practice. I was really focused. The next day be okay, and then the third day be really pants. Yeah. I was just like, why? I'm trying. It's just like, but that was always a cycle. It's like, oh, it's okay. Mm. That will just happen. And then it'll pass, and then maybe tomorrow will be good, maybe tomorrow won't be good, but it will be good again. Mm. And it's, like, it's okay, yeah. But also, like, if we fill our time too much, there's no, we don't even leave time for cycles, and we freak out when something's bad, because yeah. it should be good all the time.
1: Going back to Manchester Collective, mm. um, in, I can't remember which interview it was, you talked a lot about how everything is just so based on your values and Your artistic kind of authenticity. Do does has that helped? Because sometimes I've revisited artistic endeavours that I've started and that I've maybe not been so true to my values. And then, like, if because we all change as people over time, Mm -hmm. I found it very difficult to reconnect with projects that I started long ago. But with Manchester Collective, because it's always been about your values, has it been? Easy or more simple to just keep going with
2: it? I would say the values are there. It's like the ethos Mm -hmm. to refer back to. So everything has to, like, pass those goals or something. So, and they're they're not specific. I mean, they're things that... um, So they kind of... It's like umbrella things. So being... Playing stuff you want to play. Like, actually makes you realise that up until this point I wasn't doing that, which is quite mad, really. Um, I guess part of it is do it, doing it as well as you possibly can. So that's a, a commitment to yourself for yeah, integrity of output. Um, another one is, like, uh, you know, don't restrict where you play it because if you're really believing in it, then you should be able to take it anywhere and um, don't restrict who you play it to. Like, don't already... We make so many judgments about the audience who we don't even know. Like, we're, <clears throat> we're already judging what we think their reaction is going to be and what they're going to say about what piece is or how they're going to feel. We don't know them at all. So let them, like, be themselves and let them show you if they like it or dislike it or whatever. Don't, like, preempt that. Mm.
1: That's really true. I wonder whether... Because we're always trying to invite new audience members without really trying to get to know the original audience people.
2: Audience yeah, people. I suppose what I meant is um, we, we never did stuff just to please the audience. So it's like we're going to programme whatever we want and people will either trust us or they won't. But the ones that do and come along will be like, you know, trusting. Mm. So it's gaining people's trust by being your most authentic self. Mm. which is exactly what bands do, you know. I That's think true. as humans we have we have very, like, deep senses and we can tell when something... Or we react or we resonate with things when they're really, like, genuine and yeah. original. And there's something about the strength of just something being genuine. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to like it or not. Like, actually... You know, I was at something the other day and there were two really interesting and strong acts after me and one of them I much preferred to the other, but I really appreciated that it was it was so genuine what yeah. they were both doing. They were both really powerful experiences. Mm. And then, you know, we don't no one has to like everything. Yeah. That'd be really
0: boring world. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what strikes me about the collective, the Banchester Collective as, as a project. It's like I've never seen something that looks so authentic. I don't know, as a as a concept. Like, I just love how each of your tours, the simple thing of just having a name, right. you know, or having, even if it's like not necessarily like how everyone's feeling about the music, it's yeah. still like this is this is the idea that we're going for. Yeah. And you're sort of like, oh, so I'm going to this tour, having these ideas about you know, what they're trying to get across. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel like there's a lack of communication sometimes with classical programming, like, what they're actually trying to get across. I don't know. Well, why they're choosing the pieces. Yeah. They well, yeah,
2: I mean, maybe it's, like, a lack of concept Yeah. to begin with. Totally. But I have to say, Adam is incredible at that stuff. That's, like, he's so artistic with it. And, you can um, so tell. Hit the copy yeah. and the, you know, we sort of design the programmes together and then he... He thinks of these really um, compelling titles and stuff. It is poetic, like what he writes about it. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: And I mean, can we talk a bit about like the upcoming tour, The Oracle? Yeah, Um, which is you know the ensembles. Like a big part of it is this on this partnership that you have with Abel Salauchwe. Yes, it's just amazing. Like, and it kind of reminds me, I don't know. It leads back to this idea of, like, a daring collaboration that is something that you kind of aim for with the collective. Like, can you tell us about the Oracle tour, about, like, what you've done with Abel and why that collaboration is, like, so important to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, Abel's a a powerful spirit to be around, isn't he? you probably witnessed him. him He's amazing. Yeah, and actually, he, he was at the Royal Northern with Adam and my sister. And so he's sort of... We've known him for many years and so it was great to do a project, put the Sirocco project together with him. Um, and I think that was like the ignition for lots of things, um, both for our relationship and for his career going forwards as well. And um, yeah, so this is sort of our second exploration into working with him. And I think, it's you know, we didn't want to just repeat Sirocco. So the idea was like, okay, okay what, what, where are we going now? And Abel really wanted to explore this idea of like your ancestors and um, his land. You know, he's not from here, he's from South Africa and it's from a really different culture. So while Sirocco, we were sort of started that journey, I think this will be a deeper exploration into that. Um, but of course, marrying it with stuff from our culture over here, but where I think there's more kind of contemporary sounds in there, the idea is to look back present and future so um I think that's what his kind of his works are going to be about and then where there's sort of Mika Levy and Oliver Leith in it as well so we've got contemporary British artists but we've also got like Vivaldi and Stravinsky and so it's just weaving different threads together you know it's kind of um let's see what it's like (laughs) the wording of
1: daring collaboration I think is it on the website Mm-hmm. What makes a collaboration
2: daring to you? Hmm. Sorry. Um, I suppose um, with collaboration, you you're often doing stuff which you can feel uncomfortable because it's not natural to you. But that's the whole point of a collaboration, isn't it? It's not um, is to be stretched out of your comfort zone a little bit. There's obviously different degrees of that, and you don't want to just be completely thrown in the deep end. But I suppose we don't we don't prescribe them. So you know, we over lockdown we made a film, and we never made a film before, and we worked with a dancer, and um, we hadn't done any of that before. So that did feel a bit like ah, but it was. Uh, I think we just made a unique work of art that came out for that, um, came out of that. And that will exist now forever. And, and it forged, again, we forged really good relationships. Like we collaborate with Sam Buckley, who is from the um, Where the Light Gets In. Oh, yeah. And he's a chef. And we have such amazing conversations and find you know, like common ground about food and music. And that's another thing that will come out soon a film about that. And like collaboration can be anything. I and mean, mm. we're kind of doing a collaboration now, having a yeah. chat, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's very daring.
0: <laughs> very daring. Gotta say so.
2: <laughs> I've been part of or sometimes gone to witness some collaborations where, you know, you put some names together or whatever, but it doesn't result in something that feels dynamic and, and uh, risky. Mm, um, can be quite predictable yeah or even like but sometimes i've seen stuff where you've got two really interesting names but it doesn't always result in something that's mm. um that that spark has been ignited or fused mm-hmm. or something so but the thing is collaborations are often run can always come with that risk you know you might not it might not work which is then also fine but i sp- i suppose that's where you've got to be like daring and also um Mm -hmm. try and really trust in your instinct yeah
0: that goes to the authenticity side of it is like you are willing to risk it not working just to try it out or just to like
2: experiment which is really inspiring to me it's
1: hard when people are what i
2: think you've got to risk that but then you also have to like you've got to push yourself to work hard in it you know we've done collaborations where i've been like oh my god this is not good right now on day one or whatever and so I'd push 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 and by day three it's like okay now we're getting somewhere but maybe that's just like it's up to you where you set your bar isn't it that's a really good point actually
0: I mean I have to be honest that looking at what you've got coming up with the collective and the two tours like quite close together I'm just sort of like wow all these venues all these dates like quite close together does that is that something that, like, you look at that and you're like, yeah, so excited about it, or is there ever a sense of which you get midway through a tour and you're sort of slightly burnt out and you sort of slightly regret putting them so close together or anything like that?
2: Um, I mean, once you're in a tour, I think um, it's a joy to be able to play things over and over again. And of course, once you've done it a few times, it's really in your body and in your bones and you you know what the experience is like, even though it's different every time because each venue is different each audience is different your mood on days are are different so you know the experience will be a different thing but you've got proof to yourself that you can do it so Mm. it you know it's yeah in that sense it's it's we're really lucky we get to play things so many times you know some people have to rehearse stuff and then just do it once or even you put together an orchestral program on one day or something and just like you know, what kind of experience is that for the player? It's not very satisfying.
0: That's not something I would actually, like, considered, but it's less taxing. Well, not less taxing, but, like...
2: It's much more satisfying. satisfying.
0: Yeah. yeah, because you're not forcing people to learn, like, huge swathes of stuff to yeah, be... Yeah, just for one output. Change. Like,
2: yeah. we have a chance for it to develop and evolve and...
1: Yeah, and you always hear, like, oh, you know performances are amazing because it's like this moment that will never be the same like you'll never be able to relive that again but if you're only doing that program once it's like well yeah but we didn't get to develop it yeah exactly like it feels much more relevant in terms of if you play like a good load of times yeah yes it will never be the same again but there's also like one that you can not compare it to but also like have a different experience of that same music the
2: next night Um. yeah definitely I mean we I find when so first night most adrenaline I guess because it's like can we do this and you know it's the your nervous system is in a different state and then each time you know you do it more you I find as musicians we manipulate time and The more you know something, the more manipulation you can do with time. It's not just sound we're playing with. It's like we're making sound in the present. So we're masters of time as well. And so the more you know something, the more mastery you have over that or more possibility.
1: I love that. I've never heard that, but I'm like...
0: (laughs) (sighs) That's so cool. It makes me want to sort of play more from memory even or more... Oh, no. I love playing from memory. <laughs> okay. I, I love the idea like that everyone has that, like... Everyone's free of that paper.
1: But it's still written by someone else. That's where I get That's down to it. It's like, as much as you're playing it from memory and you're trying to express yourself and it's like, wow, it's really coming from the soul, it's still written by someone
2: else. But what about all those folk tunes that I've learned? Yeah. You know, people learn by ear and they learn tunes by ear. It's still true. written by someone else. I'm just thinking of, like, trumpet and <laughs> Yeah.
0: We won't make you play that from memory, don't worry. Yeah. Um yeah, I I was sort of wondering what have you experienced to be like the biggest taboo among either your musician friends or your like generation in general? The oh, biggest taboo.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Within
0: mostly classical musicians, I'd say.
2: Yeah. I think there's a lot of stigma around injury, isn't mm. there? Um which, like, like it, you can often, people kind of look down on it or something, but I think that's, we should get rid of that. Um, because actually it can happen to anyone. And like we talked about a little bit at the beginning of this, like, often it's psychological damage rather than physical, or um, we all hold stuff in our body. Another thing I think is that, I should be thinking about it quite a lot recently, like, There wasn't any time during my education that, like, spirituality of playing music was talked about. Mm -hmm. And I think this, again, comes back to, like, depth of feeling and depth of thought and why. And but I think sometimes, gosh, I don't quite know how to explain it. We've we've come quite far away from what music actually is. And it's like communication of the human spirit, ultimately. And in our Western music, there's quite a few sort of. Um, it's like the hurdles have been put up, and it's not. It's not bad. I think it's just it's encouraged us to forget what it is in the first place, because actually, when you go to different cultures or different scenarios where music is used to heal or for ritual or um, for enjoyment all of those different elements that is actually more the crux of music than our scores Mm. and how do we bring that spirit human spirit back into doesn't mean um, yeah we we have to bring that back we have Mm. to Otherwise, the the scores will die. Like, yeah.
0: I think that reminds me of like even if you think about Western classical music and take that back and back and back, which I love reading about because I'm very into church music, but mm-hmm. it does come from plain chant, you yeah. know, which is one of the most soulful things you can have, really. Yeah, like I in my humble you say so. <laughs> No, but like you know, even Gregorian chant or like deep orthodox chant like
2: yeah exactly. those are the
0: the base, bases of Go
2: yeah
0: of western classical music
2: yeah and then you think about like indian ragas mm. or like uh south american you know chants or you know it's yeah like the origins of music like that spirit shouldn't just be i've got a like, lot maybe it got lost in the classical era we started getting sonata form <laughs> and that was complicating things it's a i mean i love a good sonata form but you know what I'm finding interesting is like questioning this stuff and being like, how does it relate to my life now? And I increasingly feel like, uh, like as much as I love Haydn string quartets, I don't feel that is that relevant to me now in my life to play a minuet and trio. Mm. And I think about how many minuet and trios i played in my life <laughs> when I could have been playing some other stuff. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is relevant to you and your human spirit? I think, a and trio from Vienna.
1: Um, I mean, as a trumpet player, I don't have that luxury. Of yeah, sorry. Trin- I'm not very jealous, <laughs> I'm afraid.
0: That's fine.
1: Um, as a non-religious person, yeah, I feel like any talk of like spirituality, like it, yeah, I I feel very spiritual through yoga or. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes through music, but I haven't necessarily explored that to the extent that I would now like to, having had this conversation. But I feel like there's a, maybe stigma is too strong a word for it. Like, but a a fear of spirituality and religion. Like, I don't know. We don't talk about it in terms of it's. Yeah, spirituality is quite hard to explain.
0: Yeah, Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms
1: of because religion is easier Mm. not completely it's obviously very complex but especially in an education musical education where I don't know it would be really hard to teach spirituality but I guess in yoga and these sort of practices it comes more naturally
2: or maybe again it's about encouraging people to find the thing that they need for that kind of um, support for themselves, like somehow when you, oh, I don't know, it's about a connection of human spirit somehow, and it depends which context context you want to have that in. Can be in church, can be in the concert hall, can be, you know, in the middle of the jungle with a tribe. It can be in an Indian setting. You know, there's all of these, but that's about the connection of human spirit, and I think that's something that's quite lost actually. It can be in the mm. pub, you know, that's what people. Any any part where there's <laughs> people <shanties>. gathering, <laughs> but w- then why isn't there a feeling of collection of the human spirit in an orchestra? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Maybe because people are overworked.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: could be. No, yeah. I think I think it's like it's a good point you make of like, you're very spirituality is feared, like religion is.
1: Yeah, like even when I found out that you were Christian, I was like, oh god, I don't know if we're going to get on. Which is so banal. No, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's how
0: people have viewed it my whole life, you know, and it's kind of funny because I've I've had to tell people that I am religious while simultaneously telling them that I'm bisexual and that I'm also you almost you have know, to justify. I have to justify, yeah, and yeah. you know, I I don't. I'm never going to get married in a church, and yeah. I might go to church, but I reject a lot of it, you know. Which is funny because actually, the spirituality side. Yeah. I never feel like I can talk about it. It's always mm. like, I have to tell everyone why I'm not who they think I am first. It's funny. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, also, like, our, the classical world is quite closed, it feels like in many, compared to, like, the progression in the outside world. <laughs> yeah. The debate, they in with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, can I ask my nice
1: question
2: now? Ask your nice question.
0: <laughs>
1: um, so, you're from... You used to live in Wales? Is that yes, what you yeah, yeah,
2: my parents still live there, actually, same house.
1: But, because we've talked about this a couple of times, but we've never actually asked anybody mm. about, is there ever a feeling of, I wish I could do the job that I have now, but not have to be in an urban setting?
2: Oh, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I do. I crave the countryside a lot, I crave nature, Um yeah Let me know when you find the answer to that. Well, yeah, I'm constantly thinking <laughs> about you, no, but, but maybe it's well, I mean, you have to find ways of either make being able to do some teaching or recording from home and then just choose to do less mm. in some ways um, I don't know, or I mean, there are other cities which are not as big as London, and people can live on the outskirts of the city and still travel into that city. Manchester being one of them, Um, Cardiff, you know, basically any city which isn't London, you've got (laughs) quicker access to countryside. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, it's affordable, yeah.
1: Just to close off, have you had any little wins this week? Because I feel like we, just in terms of like little victories, little things that you're like, yeah, I'm proud of that.
2: Yeah, I survived an overnight gig.
1: But well, yeah, fair enough.
2: That's huge. <laughs> that felt like a little win to me. <laughs> mm. But I have to say, I think it is down to doing meditation and yoga and stuff. I think that's what saw me through, which is a really nice thing to feel. That is a like, win. Yeah. Meditation's not easy at all. No, no, I mean I mean I have realised that my brain just goes a million miles an hour sometimes and I was determined to start this year off just with better habits. I don't say resolutions because somehow just it's it annoying on. when people are saying that all the time. But like I was like, okay, all you have to do is just like change little habits and then suddenly 6 months later you're you can be quite a different person in many ways. So one of the habits was just kind of be a bit more active physically and like um, yeah, meditation and finding space and calm. And um, I think it's paying off so far. I need to
1: do an overnight gig. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly <gonna> get
0: anything, <laughs> you can do anything. What about you? Do you have a win? Oh yeah, what's your win? I don't know. Well literally. no, you don't have it's to It's only hold. Monday.
2: <laughs> you made what if it am from the last week or the or the weekend?
1: Well we had a chat when
0: did You can say one? your last one if you if it still stands.
1: Um Oh no, I've done stuff since actually then. Um, I had two so have mostly been doing teaching recently, and mm. I've been wanting to do more playing. But then, because I I graduated in lockdown, and then the world felt so empty, and I didn't perform for ages, so actually any performance now feels so terrifying, and I'm so scared to see people that I played to before the pandemic, because I'm like, oh my god, I'm so much worse, and, mm. and it was my first natural trumpet gig since 2019, I think,
0: mm. so I was like,
1: okay... And it was fine. Like it was great. really nice. Well done. Wow, that's so cool. And yeah, I had a
2: great time. And I enjoyed it.
1: That's probably my right.
2: right. win. So. That's amazing. Maybe you don't need to worry so much. <laughs> that isn't it? Yeah. Isn't <laughs> it? Yeah. What about you, Hattie?
0: I knew you were going to ask that, and I was literally like, "Oh my god, what am I going to say?" I don't know. I had a really bad weekend, to be honest with you. I just just didn't feel good at all. Yeah. Like just very down, mm. and I'm just feeling like it was a big win to go to work today and I'm so glad I did because like I feel I've come the other side and like even though things are still not feeling right necessarily or like perfect like I'm still here now Mm -hmm. I've still done everything today that like I wanted to do and I feel like in the past if I'd have felt depressed like that would have written off a week or two, but it's like no, like I can still move through things. I still feel supported by people. Like I'm better yeah. at communicating it, so yeah, that's huge. it feels yeah, yeah, big win, big, big. But yeah, yeah, we a segment into a big win thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rocky, thank you so much. That's been such a fun chat. So nice, oh, so good. so nice. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, really nice to meet
1: you. Because yeah. obviously, I like, like just read all this stuff and heard all this stuff about you. And I was like,
0: I know, oh, I know. Yeah.